everyone. My name is Pau, and this is the Fixed Astrology Podcast, and I'm here with Mo, and we're going to be talking today about electional and horary astrology. Yeah, um, I think it's good to start this episode out with the fact that we had elected a time originally for this, and we ended up missing our election due to some um, mishaps. Uh, So what's funny is that regardless of our locations, because right now, how is on the West Coast, I'm basically on the East Coast, uh, regardless of, you know, the rising signs or whatever, um, the moon was actually conjunct Uranus at our original time, and we had all these, like, mishaps occurring, so I think it was just meant to be that we missed this election, and it's kind of a good way to, I guess, introduce the topic of elections and things that can go well or things that can go wrong during them. Yeah, with my chart, so the chart for here, I'm currently, yeah, I'm currently on the West Coast in San Diego, and I had a Cancer Rising chart, so it is ruled by that Taurus moon, and my mishap was very Taurus moony. I, my dad, like, brought out dinner, like, right when I was, like, about to, like, go bring out my computer, and it's, like, he made, like, his, like, signature spare ribs, and I just, like, knew that I had to, like, eat that first before I started this podcast, or else I'm just gonna keep thinking about these spare ribs the entire recording. Yeah, I mean, for me, so I had a Leo rising chart, and the moon is separating from its trine with the sun, and the midheaven was right in a trine with the sun. Mercury is also really close by, and I find that what's interesting is that I had, like, a really intense text conversation that I needed to have before we could even start this. And so I was dealing with that and it's like, oh my God, I have to deal with this. I wasn't prepared. It's not a bad conversation. It was actually a very nice conversation. It was just like, there's a lot of emotional overwhelm. It was like one of those pleasant surprise things. And like, I know everyone's not enthused about um, Uranus with the moon and Taurus, but it's like, an, exal- an exalted moon in Taurus, especially like really close to its exaltation degree at three degrees, is pretty good. <laughs> Even if Uranus is there, yes, Saturn's opening, yeah. but Jupiter's really helping out and I think protecting the moon from whatever Saturn's doing. And so it was just like a really pleasant but intense. It's like, okay, wow, these are like really positive feelings. They're overwhelming. I don't know what to do with them right now, but like, Let's have, let's hash it out. Let's deal with it. Let's table this for a time where we are both in a better state to like really unpack these positive feelings. So it's like, I guess this is a nice taste of what's to come with like the moon and Taurus with Uranus and Saturn. But it might not feel as nice if Jupiter, once Jupiter leaves. So just take advantage of the fact that Jupiter will be in Aquarius for some time, I guess. Oh my god yeah I mean <laughs> I've been looking forward to Jupiter going into Pisces but then you bring it up that way I'm like oh yeah I guess those couple of like Taurus moons or any actually really any of just like the fixed sign transits will might be kind of a bummer during those few months Jupiter is in Pisces just just yeah just a little bit but um just a little tad <laughs> I mean but we can like go into our elections I think we started this like five minutes ago or something. I actually have the chart for here for five minutes ago. And I mean, the Midheavens at like 12 Taurus where I am and 
the moon is like technically cadent by degree. Actually, no, I lied. So the moon is still within five degrees of the midheaven, but it's separated from Uranus at least. And it's still like close enough to Mercury in aspect. So it's like interesting that we actually started the podcast once the moon was like, hi, Uranus. Oh, yeah. So I think <laughs> that's pretty funny. You know? And so I think this is a nice way to talk about like the difference between applying and separating aspects and how that can affect your election. Yes. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm even just kind of looking at how the chart changed for me and it actually kind of worked out pretty well. Um, and that for the me, the midheaven moved into Aries and it's at two degrees. And so you oh, get wow. that Jupiter. Yeah, I know. So you get the Jupiter sextile um, <laughs> right on that midheaven. So that's nice for me. And then, yeah, that moon's separating from Uranus now. So maybe not as many mishaps now that we're recording. Yeah. Um, so I think like what a lot of people don't realize about electional and horary is that I know a lot of people kind of sleep on um, whether aspects are separating or applying, but basically the idea is that when aspects are applying, it describes energies that are present and just like waiting to culminate or like um, really bring about what the energies of those planets and that interaction means. Whereas separating planets kind of describe things that have already happened and I don't know about you, but like, I'm not as good at horary, so like, I struggle with that. But at least in elections, I've seen where I've done an electional chart. And even if, say, the moon or the ascendant ruler has separated within three degrees of an aspect with something else, but it's already applying to the other significator that I want, I'll go back and realize huh, that energy was there. And I realized that it maps on to some other like hiccup or something I didn't want that, that was also going on in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 I think for a lot of us who started studying traditional natal astrology first, like it can yeah. be really hard in some ways. It's not that you have to unlearn the importance of like separating and applying aspects, but for me anyway, it was like, I gotten so used to the importance of whole sign aspects in mm-hmm. traditional natal astrology that I have made mistakes on electional charts where like, I remember like electing a chart where I was like looking at a moon in Taurus again, and then Venus in Scorpio. And in my brain, I was just kind of thinking like, oh, they're like opposing each other. Like there, there's an aspect there. This is great. But no, like the moon had long separated from Venus already. It was already in like the later degrees of Taurus and Venus was in the earlier degrees of Scorpio. And so like that moon wasn't going to be making an applying aspect to that Venus for like a long time. And so I can still make that mistake sometimes. But yes, separating and applying aspects are very, very important. It's like, you got to like look to not just at the significators that you like care about, but it's like, okay, like you're like, let's say you're looking at the moon and you want it to apply to like a Venus mm-hmm. like in that case, but it makes an aspect first to Mars. Like that's also something you really got to like watch out for too. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, I'm remembering times where I elected uh, my surgeries for things I needed in grad school. So basically the way it's set up at my grad school is that unlike other places where I've worked, 
the animal facility has to watch you do surgeries so that they know like you're up to par, right? And that you're good to go. And so I think there was a chart. It wasn't like the first chart that I elected. It, there, I think there was a different chart that I elected because I messed up the first time, not because of, not because of my lack of competence, but um, I think if I look back at the chart, the 11th house ruler was doing something fucky in that chart and I wasn't paying attention because it's like, oh, they've separated, whatever. The significators I want are applying. But what happened was that uh, because everyone in the lab shares kits, right? somebody didn't pack the kit correctly. And so when I went down to do surgery and my animal was bleeding, I didn't have anything sterile to stop it. And that was the only thing that kept me from passing the first time. But it's like, if oh. I had paid attention to what the 11th house really was doing to the ascendant ruler, I would have noticed, okay, this is gonna cause a problem, even though it had separated. And, you know, my significators of interest were applying to each other, like, like same degree applying. I shit you not. It was like perfect, but I was so mad. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's. I hope you do more around like um, elections for surgery, by the way, because um, I'm actually, I'm taking Sam Reynolds, um, like uh -huh. nitty gritty course on horary and electional and we're like wrapping it up and he and other astrologers say that it's really, really hard to elect for surgeries because, mm -hmm. you know, well, you, when you're a human, like trying to like, <laughs> like schedule your surgery, you know, you have the appointment, but the actual start time of the surgery will often be very, very different than your actual right. appointment time. So you actually end up getting a really, really unique perspective in that you actually really can track like actual start times for surgery. Yeah. And like something that I learned, even though I'm just doing operations on animals, the time you intend to start is different from like when you actually start. It's so different because you have to prep, you have to do all this other stuff. Sometimes like you have to make sure that you you have the right tools or like the right anesthetics and whatever. But I think for electing for humans, <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize that sometimes when it comes to electional, you really can't just look at the chart alone. And as someone who's like purchased um, magical materia that's based on astrological elections, you're not just buying like a nice potion or a nice candle or some nice incense. You are buying an election chart, okay? And you have to consider your relationship with, you know, the planets or stars or whatever that are being highlighted. You have to consider how that chart interacts with your own chart. And I think for stuff like surgery, especially like, you can't just go, oh, because Mars is associated with surgery, right? Like, oh, I just want Mars in a really good place. It's like Mars might not even freaking like you. <laughs> so like mm -hmm. to consider, you know, especially for something that's about your health and well-being, you have to consider that, you know, the planet that actually rules your first house or sixth house are well-placed and not doing crazy things in the electional chart because, Every election, whether you're electing for an event or you know trying to make magical materia, has side effects based on whatever's going on in your own chart. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, I think I mean even just this talk on start times, right? Like just to like take it a step back, like you know, and just like what is electional astrology even? Mm -hmm. it, 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 yeah, it's like trying to figure out like the date and time to start something, and but 
what that start time is exactly is just gonna like sometimes it's really really straightforward you know like um like I don't know let me think of an example like the start of like 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 a first date or something right like obviously mm-hmm. it would be the start time of that actual date like the t- date the time that you all agree to like meet up wherever but sometimes it's like not as straightforward like I I was even just thinking like how would you elect for example like a time to like move to a place when it's just so hard when you just like won't know in advance like the flight times right um yeah. but like Sam had pointed out that I guess Bonatti um who's like you know some astrologer from way back when um said that it would be the time that you leave your house and I was like okay that's like really interesting so um that I think that's even just sometimes even the first step when it comes to like thinking of an election like you know when you're trying to think of an election it's even just figuring out like what is the start of whatever it is you're doing right or like there's some things that you elect for that it's not going to be like a one-time thing you do. Like when you're doing things that have multiple start times, like writing a book, because like you don't just sit down and write a book in like an hour or something. You have to plan what you're going to say. You have to find time to edit it. You have to find time to do all the other like, you know, um, logistical or um, administrative things that go into publishing and all that stuff. So you might have to like have like a sort of election for saying I'm going to do the things that will I guess be the foundation for this book I'm going to write and then maybe you have to elect other like smaller events that will eat into the you know what is going to be your final product right so yeah yeah there are there could be multiple start times for sure and mm-hmm. um, we, we mentioned horary like a little bit earlier too, but with horary, like the whole idea behind it is like you pull up a chart when a question, at the moment a question is asked, and then you like analyze the chart to determine the answer to that question. And mm-hmm. that sounds simple enough, but it's like not because like there are all these nuances too on like, okay, when exactly is the question asked? Like who, at which location do you like cast the chart for then? Is it the person who's like, asking is it the astrologer who's being asked the question like there's just all these different things too and so um yeah I mean that that's a whole ass other thing yeah and the thing is what's cool about horary and electional is that <clears throat> you really have to get familiar with the movement of the planets because it's it's all a very dynamic process right not only um do you have to consider you know the position that the planets are in but like what are the next aspects that you know the planets of interest are making because that's going to tell you a lot about how your undertaking will go but also you know what the answer to your question is and even though horror seems easy based on like the people who do it very well um like it's actually not <laughs> I think it's the harder between the two, honestly. Horary is so yeah. hard. And I respect everyone who knows how to do it because um, you really have to take good care into realizing, you know, which planets are you really paying attention to? Like, what is the nature of the question? And how well do the general significations of the planets, but also like how do the houses that they rule like kind of fit into the question you're trying to answer, right? Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, I think with 
both I mean the thing that the, the that the two have in common right is like we're both you're trying to like first really kind of nail down like what are the significators of the things that are involved like for example like yeah with the book publishing um issue right like the ruler of the first house is almost always going to be you whether it's mm-hmm. in both horary and an electional and then yeah and then you have to find the significator for your publisher or you're going to also have to find the significator for just like writing itself right like maybe mercury mm-hmm. being just the general ruler of communication might be that or um there's just all these different things that you have to kind of like figure out um or you got to figure out the significators um I do think with both, but especially with horary, it just like houses are just so important yeah. in both, which also just brings up a whole question. And I know this is one of the questions um, that someone had asked on one of our Twitter accounts, but the question <laughs> yeah. of like which house system to use is just like another much heavily debated thing that comes up with both horary and Oh optional. my God. I think, I think we should speak to that because here's the thing. There are great people who do um, horary for with whole sign houses, and it works out very well. And I think there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, <clears throat> though I will say that um, there are people who use quadrant houses, and what gets interesting is there's a way to use intercepted houses in horary specifically, because it's almost like I can't remember this off the top of my head, but like I know um, Wade Caves gave great couple of lectures on this and if you've ever watched one it's great you should listen to it but basically I think it's either that the planet that rules the intercepted house kind of loses its influence or the planet that is in an intercepted sign but rules another house kind of loses its say I can't remember which way but it's one or the other I think it's the first one it's like say in theory that like for some reason, if you have quadrant houses, um, siblings should be ruled by um, Virgo, but instead it's given to Libra. And say Mercury's not doing nice things in the chart. So it's like, okay, your sibling in theory would be doing X, but um, because Venus is instead in charge of like whatever your sibling's doing, there's something about like that power that's taken away from that planet. It's really interesting. And so yeah. I think there's room for that. Also, like, um, you can also do some cool things with um, quadrant houses and um, horary or even electional. You can look at, like, the bounder deck and rulers of those houses and what they're doing. Um, you can also calculate a mutants for those to see which planet is actually having the most influence over that topic. And then you would make it the significator of that house for those of you who don't like to do math it's not fun but um those are things you could do um with quadrant and i think each has their own like perspective which is worth considering i think yeah i think you brought up really good points i think the other thing i'll add about using quadrant houses for horary um and i think for me this is what's like really kind of selling me on using quadrant houses for horary especially is just the fact that look look like I'll be honest like as astrologers like we we follow the transits really damn closely right like I think on like Mm -hmm. many given days like I know what planets are in like what houses and so um and you know it's horary right it's like really really important that you don't try to like trick or like game the oracle right and I feel like with um with 
quadrant houses it just makes it so much harder to do that there's just like no way there's no way you could predict where the house cusps are are going out going to end up falling even if you knew where the ascendant was at like the moment that you asked Mm -hmm. the question and so I do really kind of like that nuance that like quadrant houses like adds to horary yeah also assessing the dynamic strength of planets um because you know it's like the angles are not always like in the signs they should be in based on whole sign houses and as you get closer to the poles it gets more obvious (laughs) and so I think seeing which planets are strong or like angular by like degrees, even if they're not like in the whole sign house that is associated with the midheaven or whatever, like, great. Like there's a whole rich symbolism that gets added there. So I'm a big proponent of using quadrant for horary uh, electional. I feel like because you're starting stuff, it, it doesn't really matter as much. That, that's just me. Yeah. But for horary, it's like you're assessing something dynamically in time, whereas for electional, it's almost like you're doing a birth chart. You're like taking a snapshot and you're trying to like capture it for whatever you're trying to do. I mean, if you can consider dynamic strength, that's cool. You can like prioritize the whole sign election, but look at the quadrant to see like, okay, in terms of like the relationship to the actual angles, what's going on here? That's valuable. I'm team, you know, quadrant for horary, full signs for everything else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I love the way you put it that like, yeah, electional really is you're like trying to find the birth chart of something, right? Whatever the hell it is you're starting. And so I I agree with you. I've used whole signs for the most part for electional. I think as I've been learning about horror, I've tried to experiment with using quadrant houses for electional and found it doesn't make too much of a difference. Yeah, I, I think I still prefer whole signs for electional. Yeah, like, it, it's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, as long as you're not trying to put something in either the quadrant or whole sign, like sixth or eighth, unless you're trying to do very specific things, you're probably fine. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Um, oh another thing we should talk about is I know a lot of texts actually talk about um, needing to pay attention to the modalities of signs and also to some extent the elements of signs because this can influence like the effect of the undertaking that you're trying to do but also from like a horary context it can tell you how fast or slow um, the things are going to move and so I think that's something in <clears throat> both electional and horary that gets slept on. Yes, it's super, super important in horary. And, and I'm, it's still something I'm really still trying to like get better at because it's, it's, there's so much, there's so much you could do with modality and with element. Like you, like you, the, the example you mentioned is, yeah, you can use modality and element to figure out like the speed at which like that thing you're asking about it's like going to happen or like mm-hmm. well, you know the one really common usage of horary is trying to find a lost item so you can use the like modality and the um el- yeah and uh, element to like kind of figure out where is this lost item like is it in the house if so mm-hmm. like what part of the house like 
if the significator for the item is in an air sign, like maybe it indicates that it's like maybe literally near an air duct or maybe somewhere high up in the house. Like it's just like really kind of like, like it, it gets taken really, really literally, literally yeah. in horror areas. <clears throat> really interesting. Yeah, and I need people to learn modality and elements. So for those of you don't, who don't know, like, and I know the words are really confusing. So I think it's triplicity, which describes the elements. So, you know, you've got your fire, which is Aries, Leo, and Sag. Uh, Earth, which is Taurus, Virgo, Cap. Air, which is Gemini, Libra, Aquarius. And water, which is Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. And then you have your... Um, what is it, quadruplicities. The reason it's called that is because it's groups of four. I know it's confusing because there are four elements and three modalities, so just bear with me. It's so confusing. <laughs> three quadruplicities, groups of four, which are the, sometimes they're called tropic or um, cardine or cardinal or whatever signs, movable signs. So this is Aries, Cancer, Libra, Capricorn. So these are the signs where the solstices and the equinoxes take place and they're thought to be very dynamic. Things move fast and fastest here. Then you have your fixed signs, which are, you know, Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, Aquarius. And these are the middle of the seasons that are consistently one thing, right? So these are things that don't really change very much and they move very slow. And then you have your mutable, common, or yeah, mutable or common signs or double-bodied because most of these things, uh, most of the signs and their glyphs are associated with things that are like of two bodies. So you have Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces. And so these are, you know, the transition points between seasons. They go back and forth. And oftentimes in horary or electional contexts, they're interpreted as like having to repeat something again revisiting something it's like okay we don't want to stick with this thing but like we have to revisit it before we can do the new thing right and that kind of makes sense with what the mutable signs are about so depending on what you want to do or like the nature of the question sometimes the nature of the sign both by element but also modality can tell you like you know how fast or you know slow something is going to happen um, so uh, I know like some of you might be familiar with like Will Pepper's like book on medical astrology. It's really interesting. It's like not too heavy a read, but it's worth like having in your repertoire. I think you can go buy it from like the medieval astrology guide for like not too much money. It's good to have and it's good to explore because it kind of teaches you how to go through like decumbriture charts, which are basically like tracking the progression of an illness based on the point where it's obvious that something is wrong or like you get a diagnosis. And <clears throat> oftentimes the nature of the um, sign on the ascendant can determine like how, like how long the illness is gonna be. So if it's cardinal, like the illness will pass quickly. It, it came on quickly, it passed, it'll pass quickly. If it's mutable, it's like, okay, it might come back again, but like, it'll probably be intermediate in length. And then if it's fixed, it's, it might be something chronic or long lasting. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think, um, 
I mean, I think another thing that's like kind of really important to note too with electional is how, um, or both electional, yeah, well, particularly in electional is just like how important like a person's like how rooted it is in someone's natal chart. And that mm-hmm. came up as a question actually from um, someone who follow us, follows our Twitter account. Um, and they asked like, I'd love examples for when an election is good on its own, but not great when applied to a specific person's natal chart. And I hear a lot about the interplay between natal and electional, but I've only really read on how to elect for a classically quote unquote good election. So where do you want to begin with that? Oh discussing God, that? I cannot stress this enough. Look at what planets are doing in your natal like seriously look like it is so 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 important um i can't think of like really bad ones off the top of my head i have more examples that are personal where it's like the election on its own is not that great but the outcome was amazing and so for example, like I semi-elected it, but wasn't happy with the chart. And I just kind of was like waffling between like, do I wait now or do like, I just do it. So like when I published my thread on election predictions, right? I looked at the chart. I'm like, oh, Gemini rising, whatever. Oh, Rahu is on the fucking ascendant. Not great. Yeah, the moon is like in the first house, but like I've read things where if you want to elect things, the moon in the first house is not great. Um, I don't know if I buy that because I've had plenty of examples where putting the moon in the first house is actually not a bad idea. And I think Mercury was ruling the ascendant. It was retrograde and it was still square Saturn. And I was like, fuck, this is probably bad. Probably one of the best threads I've ever posted, like in terms of engagement. (laughs) And then I realized it's like, okay, Gemini is actually an angular house in my birth chart. I think the ascendant was not too far off from my natal Mercury. Uh, Mercury rules my lots of fortune and spirit. (laughs) The moon, which is like my lord of accomplishment, which if you watched my talk, you know what that's about, was actually in the electional first house and it's on, it was on Aldebaran. Like you, you just can't make this shit up. And then not only that, when I look back at the chart, it's like, yeah, like Mercury's in my, um, eighth whole sign house. It was on speaker. It was opposing my um, my natal Venus. Uh, basically, it's like Mercury is actually not that bad in my chart. And it's like, I just kind of slept on Mercury and I shouldn't have done that. Not only that, but like when I looked back at it, it's like, okay, like it was actually a nice aspect with uh, Jupiter in that chart. And even though Jupiter was depressed, it's like, Jupiter in that chart is in my, it's transiting my 11th and it's making all these nice aspects with like my earth and water placements. So I couldn't really be mad. And it's like with Mercury's like tightest aspect in that chart being with Jupiter, it's like Mercury and Jupiter rule my angles. I shouldn't be surprised that this turned out very well, even though the chart wasn't that great, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't had really, I haven't had really bad examples of like, oh, this is a great chart and it doesn't work. It's more like, oh, that's yeah. better than I thought. 
right? I, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head anyway, but the example you shared, by the way, is a really, really good example, though, if it's the other way around. But I do, like, I can't think of an exa- exact example off the top of my head, but I have tried, for example, like, you know, the Astrology Podcast gives, like, a good election for the month, like, every month for free on their podcast and Mm -hmm. when I was like brand new on all this and just like really didn't know any better like I have tried like nothing major but I have tried using those elections for some small things with like pretty like kind of meh results and I bet I could look back at some of those and it's probably because it has to do with just like my natal chart and like that like not working like with my natal chart right like I'm even thinking of another example of one where I wasn't expecting like a good outcome. It's like, okay, I needed to email someone so that they would be a part of my committee. And I was like, okay, Taurus rising, fine. Like third house for me natally, emails, fine. Venus was in Libra, but I'm like, no, I don't think it was Venus. I think it was the moon. Some, there, there was something there, but like, I forget where Venus was. No, I think they both were in Libra, actually. Both were in Libra. And I'm like, okay, this is the sixth house of the chart. And, like, I couldn't get the midheaven where I wanted it to be. And, like, Venus was aspecting something. I can't remember, but it, was, it wasn't it was nice. <clears throat> and I'm like, I'm not expecting a very good response. Whatever. Fuck it. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I send the email, and it was great. I got a great response. And it was actually a very fast response. I was not expecting like a response so quick because I also sent this email like outside of typical working hours. Literally within an hour, I get a very positive response. And I'm like, no, it's like, okay, Venus is my benefic of sect. Like, I mean, she's not doing great in my chart, but like Venus was also at home in fucking Libra. Like, of course she's gonna deliver, right? And I think the moon is applying. So it's like, really pay attention to what the moon is doing because like the moon really speaking to events that are made manifest, especially as I've gotten more comfortable with electing things, it's so loud. It is so Mm -hmm. Mm funny. Yeah, I think that's super, super important to highlight. With both horary and electional, you have to pay attention to that moon. Like if you're doing electional, do like everything you possibly can to make sure that moon's well-placed and like really, really look at what it's applying to, what house it's in, what sign it's in, like whatever it is, it's going to really kind of affect its dignity and it's just, it's just overall condition. And then horary is like with horary, you look at the moon to just kind of get just kind of, it's a general significator of just like the question or the situation at hand itself. Mm-hmm. And so um you know a well like a moon in good condition will say a lot and so will one that's just like kind of a whole ass mess right so Mm -hmm. I yeah I think that's a really good like yeah I think it's a really good point to make like you gotta pay attention to the moon for both I do have a question for you in particular so like when you elect things have you found like the moon and say um Capricorn or Scorpio to be deal breakers I haven't found that to be the case, actually. No, and um, I'm glad you asked this question because <laughs> it's actually kind of related to the other question I wanted to like because it's all they're all they're all kind of linked. There was like someone else on um, Astro Twitter who asked on our thread like I'd love to see examples of when generally like quote unquote bad or unfortunate astro weather can normally be harnessed into something interesting or powerful like such as dignified malefics, um, retrogrades, combustions. 
So I think, you know, your specific question on like, okay, a moon in Capricorn or Scorpio, is it a deal breaker? No. And I think, but I think it really depends on like what you're electing. Like one really good example of a Scorpio moon election I used was I elected a time to finally have a conversation with my mom where I confronted her about just like a lot of just childhood, like past mm-hmm. stuff. And I wanted to make it really clear, like what I wanted in our relationship moving forward. Like if we were to have a relationship moving forward and it just fits. I mean, the Scorpio moon was just like so perfect for that. Like we needed to have just like, I needed to have just like a really, really direct conversation that was going to just go really deep. And we did. And I was able to get out exactly what I needed to say. And she got a little bit defensive, which again, Mm -hmm. can be the nature of just like that astro weather. But she um, was ultimately like really, really responsive. And we are like, I'm here now in San Diego, like seeing my parents' (laughs) house, we're obviously in like a much better place now but um sometimes we're yeah like I mean sometimes you gotta elect some not so great things like really difficult conversations and yeah I think that could be an example of when like not as dignified placements can actually kind of just be more reflective of the situation no I agree I'm like I mean I've used because Scorpio is my ninth house like I use Scorpio moons to do astrology things I haven't had like I'm sure like the response would probably be better if I had like a Taurus or Cancer moon, but like it hasn't been full on deal breaking. Like, um, and I've found that like for me, cap <clears throat> cap moons are very good for like literally banishing people. Like, okay, I want this person out of my life. I don't want anything to do with them. Like, I just need this gone. Especially for that time that like Saturn was in cap and Jupiter was there too it's like what I would do is I would try to bonify the moon by like you know putting it on Jupiter and that would help a lot actually and so I think what a lot of people also don't realize is that yes the moon is in detriment in Cap and is depressed in um, Scorpio but she still has triplicity in both signs like I was just gonna say that yeah (laughs) you know and so when I say, when I would say, like, if you're going to play with debilitated planets in elections, uh, pick wisely. Like, if you're going to go with, like, other signs, like, I mean, other planets besides, like, the sun and um, the moon, which aren't, um, you know, essentially dignified or debilitated outside of, you know, signs that match their sect, right? Um I would probably like say like if I had to rank like the Mars debilitations, I would definitely choose a Taurus Mars over Libra Mars. And then a Cancer Mars will probably be second over Libra Mars because Mars doesn't have triple Z in Libra. Mars doesn't have a decan in Libra. Yeah, Mars has terms in Libra, but like, you know, decans, I mean, like terms are only so powerful on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's nice when you can get something like a Pisces Mars which has triplicity and then it has that term and decan at the end so it's like you can like really get a lot out of planets if you put them in the right parts of the zodiac and you can get some hidden gems you'd be surprised like yes 
which is, is another plug for why it's important to, in addition to learning about triplicity and quadruplicity, you got to learn the five essential dignities too, because to really kind of get your bang for your buck in mm -hmm. horary or electional or even natal astrology, right? Like the, the five essential dignities, so it's like domicile, exaltation, triplicity, um, bound or, or also known as term or decan, also known as space. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, that's already enough for like, one or multiple episodes we won't go too much into that here but yes definitely like learn that we encourage that like I cannot tell you enough that like you know you'll be like oh why did this like mercury election in the middle of freaking Aquarius work it's because mercury has a deck in there and mercury is triplicity like duh I can't remember <laughs> in the middle of Aquarius I cannot remember off the top of my head I don't think so but like still or like okay, why did this work if, like, you know, this planet is not dignified here? Or, like, yeah, it might not be debilitated, but it might be dignified. But it's like, guys, you can't sleep on these these little divisions of the zodiac. Not only that, but, like, yeah. and fixed stars and, oh, my God, like, your elections will just go to a different level. Seriously. Yes, fixed stars, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fixed stars definitely do come in handy for both horary and electional but especially electional, uh -huh. I think yeah. so um yeah well like what's your take then or, or do you have examples or just thoughts on just some of these other things like using dignified malefics in elections or would you use like a retrograde or combust planet as a significator for you or like anything okay I mean if you can avoid retrograde planets do it <clears throat> but I find that, like, for me, it's not so much the retrograde motion that is entirely a problem. It's the two stationary points. Because that's the point of the cycle where the planet is moving its slowest, right? And so, I mean, it's not always bad. And I find that, like, it really depends on, you know, the kind of sign that the planet in question is in or, like, you know, um, the aspects even, because like when a retrograde planet is like slowing down to move either direct or retrograde, um, whatever it's aspecting, it's gonna be in that configuration for an extended period of time, especially if it, it's aspecting like a slower moving planet, that energy is gonna be really loud and you have to decide whether that energy is useful for the kind of thing you wanna do or not. So like, for example, going back to when I published my thread, it's like Mercury was about to station direct, right? And I'd been sitting on all these, this information that I'd been like seriously compiling for like a week, but like I've had like little inklings that I've been kind of putting together since like the summer that I've just been like, okay, I'm sitting on all these interpretive whatevers and I'm just kind of pretending it's not happening. And like, I just needed to get it out, right? And so... Mercury was like really slow and it was like aspecting Jupiter and Saturn. So it's like, you know what, fine. I'd been sitting on this for a while. It's time to just um, get it out there. And I think it kind of matches well with the symbolism of um, whether the planet is stationing direct retrograde. Because it's almost like when a planet is getting ready to station direct, it's like, okay, maybe you've been mulling over this for a while and you're about to move forward. And that's not always a bad um, thing to incorporate 
assuming the planet is like not otherwise like challenged, not always bad. But like, if you're going to like use a planet that's about to station retrograde, I think that's better for electing things that need revisiting. Like, so say you need to have a conversation about like, especially with Mercury retrogrades, because they happen so often, like you need to have a conversation about something you didn't like. That's a good time to initiate the revisiting, right? Or with Saturn, it's like, okay, I've been building this structure. I need to review it. That's a good time. You know what I mean? So like retrogrades are not ideal, but there's a way to channel them. It's kind of like working with the malefics or working with planets that are not doing so hot. It's like, there's a way to use them, but like, don't just use them for anything. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then I think as for dignified malefics, I think it's again, just um, be careful, you know, just, and um, just figure out like who you're assigning that to. Like I was just, I I won't say who this is, but I was just talking to someone um, like just kind of reviewing just some electional charts they were looking at. around like a conversation that needed to be had with someone else that wasn't going to be easy and so when you're electing for like something like that like the ruler of the first house is going to be you and then the ruler of the seventh house in most cases is going to be the other person and um this person was assigning that other um person that they need to have the conversation like to be either mars and aries or saturn and aquarius and i was like why are you making them like the dignified malefic in this situation? It's like making them really, really strong. And, and then you're like Venus with like no dignity in Sagittarius. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. And so they were like, Oh shoot. Okay. Like kind of back to the drawing board, but yes, be very, (laughs) if you're going to use dignified malefics, like just be careful. Like even, I mean, there might be some cases where it could work out where you should be, you know, that dignified Saturn or Mars, like I've, Use, I've done breakup charts where I put myself as like <laughs> Mars and Aries in the first. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, be really kind of careful with it. Actually, with that specific, um, with that specific example, the one mistake I I would say I made in that is that um, I I don't know how you feel about this, but like you we were just talking about retrograde stationings, right? Like um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you also look into the shadow periods, even with like with electional (laughs) um this i know this example makes me want to like look into it more because i broke up with this person right when mars is at 15 degrees which is right when it entered its shadow point and it's now like six months later and i'm still really really fucking like i still have like a lot of just anger (laughs) around this person and this breakup and it's just like why did I elect this this is not it was not an idea this is like a bad example of a bad breakup chart but yeah (laughs) I mean yeah no that's actually a good point like you know about the shadows like I wish I I should probably look into that more um because I think there's something there and like anybody who tracks their transits like you'll find that the direct movement through the shadow and then the retrograde and then the actual like revisiting during the second direct movement is just so loud. And so I think that's another point of caution for doing like, um, you know, um, elections with retrograde planets. I'm not gonna say don't do it, it's not ideal, but like it's good if you've already been mulling over something or you feel like there's something that needs to be like hashed out further that wasn't hashed out properly what I think yeah um yep 
Yeah. I think the, uh, last, the last question on this, or, or the last part of this question is about, like, combust planets. Like, I think it's kind of, like, it's similar where it's, like, I wouldn't fully 100% stay away from it. But, yeah, the planet that's combust is going to be weaker. So that's something to keep in mind. And it's going to be invisible. And, <laughs> but I might consider it if it's something that's, like, um, like a covert like or kind of like sneaky thing that you're trying to relax or something yeah another way i understand combustion is that it's good for the sun and not the planet so like um if the sun is in good shape i.e like ideally not in aquarius or libra because that's detriment and depression respectively not good for the sun um you know, like if the sun is in a good sign relative to Leo, so I would do anything but, I mean, you can use like the Libra sun and the Aquarius sun for very specific things, like especially because those are two relationship houses, like, you know, the people you're close to and see every day versus like the people you're partnered with or make agreements with, like those can be useful. But like, if you get the sun like anywhere else and then also not in like the eighth, or the sixth, or the twelfth, like, and you can get a planet that is combust it, especially if it's benefic, like, that's good for the sun, okay, like, so that's, that's one way I would use combustion to my advantage, um, another thing is that, like, it's good to take advantage of the Kazemi where possible, because, yes, it's not seen, but it's almost like an opportunity for clarity, like, let's get rid of all this other bullshit, like around it and like really get to the heart of what this planet is trying to accomplish and what it means, right? <clears throat> and so um, obviously like people should realize that you can use elections for all sorts of things. They don't have to just be nice things. And so combustion is probably one of those like things you can use to your advantage. Your mileage that was the next question I was gonna like ask you actually is like what yeah. are I, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering just like what are the different things that like you've used elections for um let's see like I mean I've again I've used elections to banish people um I don't use them often but like if I have to and if it's a problem like I'll do it I'm not really into electing difficult conversations because I'm just very impulsive and I'm like, I just need to have this conversation like now. Uh, I do use elections for like, you know, picking when I'm gonna present stuff for grad school, um, submitting applications for things. I know a lot of people who use elections for when they're gonna buy stuff. I'm, I don't really do that. I, I don't really care. I just buy things that I want. Um, I mean, and then I do elect a lot of things I do for astrology. Like I elect when I'm gonna publish my threads, when I'm gonna reopen readings, um, you know, when I, when I wanna do stuff for the podcast. But yeah, I mean, you can really elect anything. Yes, you can like literally elect anything. And um, yeah, and it goes back to again, like what's like for you, like I know like a lot of folks probably are thinking like why why elect for like anything at all like shouldn't you just like like live your life and stuff and it's like yeah 
Um, I think, but everyone's different, right? Like for you, for example, like you like want to be impulsive with your hard conversations. Like for me, like I kind of really want to like fucking plan and think them through yeah. because I'm a community organizer and this is what I do for hard conversations. But the one thing I really like, like about electional is that it, whether it's a hard conversation or even like a job that you really want to apply to, right? Or like maybe it's, um, or yeah, maybe it's an item that you want to buy. I've actually never elected. So like buying items, like electional kind of then forces all these other just kind of follow-up questions. Like you, then you kind of start realizing like maybe it's not even so straightforward. Cause like, for example, with like hard conversations or like, like breakup elections is when I do a lot speaking of hard conversations. Like it forces questions like, well, what, what am I looking for exactly? Do I want this mm -hmm. to be like a clean cut? Like where I never want to speak with this person again. Or versus like, do I want to be friends with this person after I want to continue to have a relationship with this person? Yeah. Do I really, is there stuff that I really, really need to say and like kind of get on the table? Or do I just want this to be a really succinct and just like quick conversation? Like there's just all this stuff that can kind of come up at, with electional that can also even just help you even just with this process, whether it's like breaking up with someone or like buying something or like applying for a job. No, that's a very beautiful way of putting that. Like I'm also thinking about how like, um, just tying in like with element and modality and like the nature of the planets. It's like, okay, you have all these symbols that can give you an outcome, but it's like, what do you really want? And I think like a lot of us like take for granted like that electional and horary are almost like fraternal twins. It's like with horary, we have more of like a reverence for like, you know, asking the right question, making sure it's urgent, like, making sure your intentions are in the right place when you're asking. But I feel like that kind of goes into electional. It's like, you need to figure out what your goals are. Like, cause I've also, I also feel like a lot of like meh elections can also come from like not really having a clear agenda because then you're not like, really, you know, looking at the symbols astrologically to get you where you want, right? And maybe you're not picking the right significators. And like, maybe like you are not conceptualizing like your goal correctly. And so when you elect your chart, yeah, it might be a great chart, but you're also not getting the right result because you're not really thinking about, you know, what you want, right? And then there's also the issue of timing, which is like, you know, you know, the stars really do like map onto like whatever the fuck is going on down here. And sometimes it's like, you want to do something and like the stars are just like telling you no right not because like you're a bad person or like whatever but it's like there's something you either didn't think about or like you're not like your heart's not really in it and you're just trying to do it for like not the right reasons because like I cannot tell you how many times like I'm like I'm just gonna find the best elections like just for the hell of it, like I like at the beginning of 2020, I shit you not, I sat down and I wrote elections, at least five elections for every month this year. And of course I didn't use the majority of them. And any of the ones I did use, I didn't find them just because I was looking for them, right? I found them, mm -hmm. because, okay, I really need to do something. Like the need to do something was urgent. And then it's like, it falls into my lap, right? The election. Like, I remember there was this conflict in my um, partner's family over, like, burying somebody according to, like, you know, the religious rites. And um, 
I just wanted to find a good magical election to like maybe petition Venus so that everybody would like do what was right for, you know, her to rest. Right. And so it just so happened that like, I think we were like in the car on the way home and like, I'm just going through like time nomad and I get a notification that it's fucking Venus's hour. And I'm like, wait, what? And the, I wanted to use, like, take advantage of the fact that the moon had just ingressed into Taurus. And I think Venus was just in Cancer, like at the very early degrees of Cancer. And so I was like, what? Not only is the moon exalted, but it's like a mutual reception. And I wanted to use the Venus, like, moon sextile because I kept hearing about it on forecasts and, like, seeing it. And I'm like, I want to use that for something, but I don't know what. And so this thing came up. And it's like, okay, they have like four or five days to figure out what the fuck they're doing for this funeral. And so I'm like, oh my God, there's Venus's hour. And like, everything just fell into place after that. I'm like, if I start in like 30 minutes, like everything just works out, right? And so we get home, I find this bay leaf, I light candles on my altar and like I write a message and like I burn the intention. It, It was great. And then like it all worked out. I'm not saying that like, my action like fixed everything, but I think just like having that moment to like interface with the divine because of this urgent need, like just made it work, right? And I think a lot of us forget that when we're electing stuff. Sometimes the best elections come from like having an urgent need to do something. Just like the best or most reliable query answers come from having an urgent need to know something. So yeah. I think that's such a good point. And it just makes me even think about this very recent (laughs) Jupiter-Saturn conjunction and how (laughs) like there were so many people who were just trying to like, and myself included, like the thought definitely crossed my head of like, oh, what do I, what do I elect like with this? Like, how, how do I take advantage of this? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this conjunction and, um, and then, yeah, I think it's no surprise that, like, very, very few people actually got, like, a lot of mileage around that because, yeah, there you guys take your natal into consideration and it's, like, what's the need, like, exactly? Like, I after, like, kind of thinking about it for 15 minutes, like, I kind of was, like, there's, like, literally nothing I need to elect right now. Like, I'm just gonna chill the fuck out. Yeah, no, I thought about electing something, too, especially, like, with the moon in Taurus, like, now and still, like, pretty close in aspect. But at the same time, I was, like, you know, this is a 12th house transit for me. Like, I need to rest. I, I don't need to be doing anything major. And if anything, like, um, I had this, like, whole plan for a Saturn-Jupiter thread I want to do. And I think I'll do it. But, like, this is, like, an energy that is capturing things for the next 20 years, more importantly, but also, like, and say something about like a 200 year cycle. Like there's nothing that I need to do right now that is so urgent that <laughs> I need to mm-hmm. capture the essence of the conjunction. It's like, I'll have the next two decades to figure out what this particular conjunction means, right? Right. So, <laughs> so, so uh, as someone who's like elected about five elections every month this past, here maybe you have an interesting like answer to this question so someone on astro twitter asked like on a purely psychological level 
how do you get past the barrier of looking for perfection and instead embracing quote unquote workable or good enough? Oh my God. So having done this like for 2020 and then just realizing the year went to shit, like there's no (laughs) good election. Like that whole idea, like got destroyed for my mind doing this year. Um, And then on top of that, I think like getting interested in election during a time when like, Jupiter was doing really well. And then to have that all get reversed in like a matter of a year was pretty dramatic. Um, But I think it also allowed me to be more creative about my elections and like what I want to do. And so this is where the other dignities come in, you know, thinking about your own needle chart, because what might not be like a classically good election is probably actually a great election for you. And so realizing that I need to personalize my elections to myself and like adjust them based on my nativity actually got me a lot further than trying to like, oh, I need to like capture every good like um, electional thing that comes up. Like you don't have to. And, you know, um, with slower moving planets like Saturn and Jupiter, it's like sometimes these a few times in a lifetime elections only come along every once in a while and it's good to like get as much of that while you can so like this year it's like even though Jupiter and Saturn won't be conjunct like we have plenty of time to deal with Saturn and Aquarius like it's not going anywhere for a while you know um Jupiter dips into Pisces for a bit yeah like yes there's two months of greatness like two or three months of greatness, like in the middle of this year, it's like come literally New Year's Eve next next year, like Jupiter will be in Pisces. Like, you know, it's not going anywhere, right? Um, even just trying to like make the most out of little, which was a huge theme of like 2020, um, was really helpful. It's like, you know, you have to, you can't take for granted like aspects, right? You can't take for granted the house that something is placed in. Um, you don't just elect good things that happen to you. Like you also want to mitigate bad things that happen to you. And in that case, it's like thinking about the malefics and benefics a bit differently is helpful. Like malefic is just like makes things difficult, right? Benefics make things easy. There's certain things you don't want to be easy. (laughs) And there's (laughs) hard. So like, you know, um, And there's something to be said for using malefic energy as like protection rather than harming people because you'll probably get Mm. that. Um, Yeah, like, I think it was also like a good exercise and like, okay, how to try to squeeze elections out of the year when you're dealt shit hand. But um, I don't think for 2021, I'm gonna go as ham. Like, <laughs> just, like, figure out, like, I already know that, like, you know, Jupiter's time in Pisces, there's some things that, like, I'll probably try, but, like, there's a lot I won't have to try, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, 2020 was a really good year to learn electional because it really is just, like, it was just, like, pure Jupiter and Capricorn, and, like, make the most with what you got, and, I, I think, you know, just to the question on, like, how do you get over, like, just the perfectionism and the anxiety-inducingness that can kind of come with electional astrology, like, 
I would really encourage folks to look back at the ch- event charts of things you didn't elect, just like good things that happened mm-hmm. in your life, as well as bad things that happened mm-hmm. in your life, because you'll find that like, I mean, it could, it could just, you'll, you'll find that even when like really, really good things happen in your life, the chart's probably not like perfect, perfect, right? Like I've yeah. had like really surprisingly like good, like first date where the chart looks like really awful and like on the surface but then you kind of dig deeper and you can like oh you see like oh it makes sense um and then on the flip side like um yeah not as good things happening from a chart that looks really great like my my marriage chart (laughs) has um you know for those listening I'm divorced so clearly this marriage didn't work out but my marriage chart has Jupiter and the moon on Regulus and you would think this would be like the just like perfect ideal chart and it was in the ninth house and so it literally like manifested into like we traveled a lot and had a lot of fun together (laughs) in our travels but in terms of just like a long-term like this like marriage no that clearly didn't work out right um yeah I mean the thing is like it's like guys just um Sometimes also with things that involve multiple people, it's like, while the chart may be good for like you, it might not be good for the other person. That's another thing to figure out. Like that happens. Like, and then with marriages, like, I mean, it's great that people elect them, but like, I've also just looked at a lot of charts of people who like got married anyway and aren't into this stuff. And like, the symbolism is really loud anyway, right? And like the yeah. of whatever's happening. And so there's like this weird interface of like, how much can you actually control versus like how how much better is it for you to just kind of vibe with whatever's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. There, um, there are a number of astrologers who do elect marriages out there. I am not one of them. I'm not at that level yet. But yeah, it does. It, it is kind of crazy. It involves looking at like, both like people's natal charts and then you got to like look at their sinistry too and then you got to come up with this look at the fucking davison i'm so serious like yeah like actually like this averaged out space time chart thing it's like having an actual birth chart so like when you do like perfections and shit from it that shit works it's kind of scary like look at it look at the davison davison Oh my god. Uh, maybe I'm what yeah, I should look into that. I, I really should look at least at like me and my ex-husband, like Davison charts. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, no, but literally. and like sinister charts. Oh my god. <laughs> it's, it's a mess. But like, yeah, like I mean, even like especially when you're doing undertakings, like regardless of whether it's marriage or like starting something that involves other people, it's like elections are basically transits to your chart and the other person's chart, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. your charts take precedence over what the election is doing. So, like, while the election might be good for you, it might not be good for the other person. And so, I feel like this is kind of a way to address, like, how we elect for the podcast, because it's also, like, a mix of you're in a different place and I'm in a different place. So, it wouldn't make sense to just have a chart that's good for me or, like, a chart that's just good for you. Like, we have to make sure that the chart's, like work for everybody you know yep it's difficult yeah that's for sure 
Um, what else? Oh, there's a question here on um, this question is, I'm interested in how to elect for an outcome that saves money if possible. Like for example, dealing with medical events or trips, et cetera. How would you approach that? Oh, um, we're saving money. So like, personally, what I would do is like, put the second house ruler in good condition. Um, eighth house ruler should probably be in bad condition or like at least in the second house, because the way I understand it is that the planet that is in a house is bringing whatever baggage from the house it rules. So like, for example, like Natalie, I have the ruler of my eighth house in the second house. Yes, it's in detriment, but it's like, I get money from people because it's also a benefic. So like, I get money from people. I make money by taking money from other people, whatever, debts, whatever. But then it's also because like the planet that rules like financial losses are like what you owe people. Not only is it a way that you earn money, but like it should also counteract like the amount of debt you deal with, right? Obviously mileage may vary based on the planet that rules the eighth house. It's different when it's Saturn. It's easier when it's Jupiter or Venus. Um, I think if you want to save money for specific purposes, what I would do is, um, I guess, make sure that, like, the second house ruler is, like, nicely configured to the topic of interest. Preferably, like, a sextile or trine. The conjunction could go either way, again, depending on the natures of the planets involved. Um... Obviously, you want those planets to aspect you, which is the first house. You either want them in the first house because they come to you, or you want your first house ruler nicely configured to them. Um, you want them in good houses, i.e. I. not the sixth, eighth, or twelfth. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's what I would do, personally. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's exactly what I would do. I think the... Um... Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is like, well, maybe you did say this. I'm trying to remember, but I'd probably stay away from like Mars in the second because that just sounds like spending money or losing yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, Mars. Um, yeah. <laughs> or ruling the second. And the second I might even be a little cautious with Venus in the second house again it depends on what the circumstance is but I could it could be also just like treating yourself a little bit too much but again I think there's just a yeah. lot of other factors you would have to look in there like the condition of Venus and the aspects that Venus would make but it's just another thing of just like yeah just because it's a benefic doesn't always mean yeah. it'll just kind of work in your favor um on the bright side if it's a well-conditioned Venus in the second it could be gifts like who the fuck knows yeah um no that's true like um or like so for example like with my own Venus like which is natally in the second and in detriment um getting money in weird circumstances because you know it does rule the eighth house so yeah no <laughs> try not to do that you know good try to get a good venus um you know and so 
Yeah, I think it also depends on like what you want to spend money on. Um, yeah, I know the moon is like you want the moon well placed, but like something else that you want to consider is like the nature of the planet. So like you don't want Mars in the second because it's like burning through money. Venus and Jupiter might be more stable depending on you know sect and whether they're dignified or not or bona fide or not. Um, Saturn can indicate like slow accumulating money, but like issues with letting go of money, especially if it's money that needs to be spent. Um, Mercury and the moon are too fluctuating. So like if you, mm-hmm. unless money in a specific way, like they can be very like up and down. So like that might be something to watch for. And then the nodes, um, I'm trying to rethink my relationship with the nodes, but like, Generally, like, Rahu is excess, so North Node Rahu. It can be excess money, but, like, even if you have a lot of money, there's, like, a lack of um, contentment with how much you have. So that could be destructive. Uh, With K2, a.k.a. the South Node, like, that's not always bad, because sometimes, like, yes, K2 takes things away, but it can also be weirdly stabilizing, like, it's like, okay, the issue of being hungry about money is taken away because either you don't have money or, like, you have just enough money. Like, there's no excess, right? So, like, that's something to watch out for. Yeah. The outers, I, we don't talk about them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it is a good, like, actually, both the nodes and the outers, right? Like, I, I, I personally use both, and I think a lot of astrologers use both, and I think, um, you know, but yeah, like, we only recently discovered, like, what the outers are, but I think the nodes, like, definitely, like, I've seen them both, like, really, really play out in horary mm-hmm. and electional. I also yes. think people should not sleep on planets being on the bendings of the nodes, too. They should not. <laughs> They should not, because weird things appear and disappear, okay? Like, don't don't play with that. Um, I will say, like, jokingly about the outers, like, I know I say, like, ignore them. Don't. Actually, don't ignore them. I cannot tell you how many times Neptune and Uranus especially, like, have fucked things up in electional. I cannot tell you how many times, like... Especially if you want to do money things, like avoid anything aspect of Neptune, especially via conjunction or hard aspect. Like avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, Uranus. There's a few like good examples in Lee um, Lemon's book on horary where um, on yeah. buying a car, and there's really good uh, examples where of Neptune and like car buying and it just being like just a total wash. <laughs> yeah no like I mean I feel like with Pluto like you know what you're gonna get it's gonna be like chaotic in some way like you know it's gonna be like either excessive or like excessive in either direction you already know with Uranus there's a surprise usually there's like something like I see with Uranus there's a lot of like tech related stuff like advanced technology or like technical issue stuff that comes up uh, with Neptune, it's just like either like excessive idealism or excessive di- disillusionment with things. And so that's better mm-hmm. to, avoid, especially with matters of like money. So, yeah. Yep. 
yeah definitely don't <laughs> ignore the outers because I I too have seen it both in horary and in electional it's um, even louder when they aspect like the significant like yeah they'll, it's not that they're not there like they're there in the background but like their influence becomes really undeniable especially when like significators are conjunct or like applying to the outer it's so bad <laughs> yeah yep for sure um and on the angles too like I have seen <laughs> just the outers just like really really fuck things up if you just like accidentally put Uranus like on the MC or the AC oh my god yes on the angles don't don't do that like if don't you do look, that. <laughs> don't do that they will like introduce their weird um signatures like and you don't want that in my um electional closet sam reynolds like we had a homework assignment where we had to elect the first date and like nearly everyone in the class myself included put uranus like angular <laughs> like i guess we because <laughs> we love chaos <laughs> i mean i feel like also because i remember you like asked me about some charts around that time there were probably some really nice aspects where it's like you can't avoid uranus on the angles like you just can't <laughs> And so you're just like, oh, it's an outer. And then it's like, oh, the outer is actually doing a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Mine was one of those charts. And <laughs> that was another Taurus moon chart, too. That's really funny. But, yeah. um, you know, we talked a lot about like what to elect, but, uh, you know, in terms of just casting horaries and like the kind of questions like you can ask um I did want to address that and that like technically yeah you can ask anything but not really like <laughs> you gotta really like make sure that one it's like a really heartfelt question like it is actually something like that you really care about um mm -hmm. and again this even kind of goes back to just what we we're talking about with electional right like it's like okay like are you really really clear on like what it is you're electing it's the same way with horror it's like are you really really clear on like what it is you're act asking mm -hmm. exactly um that said like it's just strongly advised that you don't ask something that's like not your business like you should mind your own fucking business like yes. you know on one hand like yeah if you have a child and you want to ask a question about them um yeah probably is your business because that's your child right <laughs> um if you're trying to ask a question about your like crushes like your married crush's wife probably not like you should not be asking that question that's not your business yeah and I feel like it's nice that the charts get weird when you try to ask about people who are several steps removed from you because the level of derived houses that you're gonna have to use are gonna have you confused like you're gonna be so confused <laughs> so just don't ask about people that are either not directly um involved with you or like not in your sphere of like concern it, it just doesn't right. work um yeah derived houses are super super important come up a lot in horary and it's like again like yeah if there's a, like an example it's like if you're asking a question about your child like you would have to then start looking at the fifth house and then you would have to like if this is for example like you're trying to ask about your child's job or something you would have to look at the 10th house from the fifth or if you're trying to ask about your child's like partner you would look at the seventh house from the fifth and then it but yeah the more you start getting like far removed like if you're trying to ask about your crushes wife's 
child, then you're looking at three. Yeah, it's just too much. It's and it's just a mess. You don't do it. Like I know there are ways to get around that because like you can technically, depending on the school for area you're in, you can kind of give the chart a life of its own, right? Like you don't have to make yourself the ascendant. Like the ascendant can be whoever the fuck you're asking about. And then everything relative to them, but it kind of defeats the purpose of horary because it's like <laughs> it's supposed to be about like the person who's asking, right? And so yeah. because like one way to use horary actually is good for um, people who don't have timed natal charts. And if they need to know something um, because they don't have a timed natal chart, it's like the horary becomes the root chart for like whatever they're asking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like transits to the horary become important. Um, whatever else you would do to the horary becomes important because it's like there's no time to chart for anything. Like this is how the person gets their insight astrologically about a topic they're concerned about in their life. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think like that said like okay, assuming it's like a heartfelt question and like is your business and stuff and you're not like trying to like trick like the astrologer, you know, because like there are apparently examples of that, then you can ask about a lot of things. Like I've heard everything from like um people asking about pimples <laughs> to like people asking about like where their roach problems coming from. Um, on the more serious side, like <laughs> I've heard of, um, I, I, I've, I've heard apparently there's like astrologers and like magic practitioners who use horary more than they use electional when it comes to like making talismans and things, which is really fascinating to me. And I definitely want to like look more into that. You know, that actually makes sense because I know sometimes when people want to do like magical things, like they'll divine on it and they'll ask like their cards, but it's like horary can like get around that because it's like you're asking should I do this thing and Hori will kind of give you like um insight into like what happens if you take these steps because you can dynamically assess like okay this is the energy I'm bringing in this is my goal like what are the other obstacles or influences here and like you can look at the planets and their relationships and see like whether it'll be a good idea to make something or not it's awesome right like yeah. sense to me yeah. Um, Going back to electional real quick, because there's just like one more question like that someone asked that we didn't address. But the question is, when is it important to choose particular AC or MC degrees versus just using a particular rising sign? Um, my quick answer to that is, yeah, definitely important to look at both the AC and the MC and like the degrees it's at and then just like which planets are going to be aspecting both. Like, um, especially if you're doing electional, right, and you are using whole signs, that MC can also fall within, you know, the, usually it's within the 9th, 10th, and 11th, but again, it depends on, like, where exactly you're electing from. Yeah, um, I think what a lot of people also don't realize is that the floating MC is actually very important symbolically, because it can kind of tell you, like, in terms of, like, you know, especially if you're trying to do, like, a 10th house type election, Um the MC in the different houses tells you like how successful, I was reading this in Saul like a while ago, but like if the midheaven itself doesn't fall in the like 10th sign, it kind of describes like the kind of, I guess, level of activity or like visibility that someone or something is able to achieve. So like in, if it's in the 11th house, it's like 
up and coming on the rise in the wings, like waiting for its turn, right? If it's in the 10th house, like the 10th sign, max visibility, whatever, it's at its peak. If it's in like the ninth house, it's like falling away. It's like resigning. It's going away to do something else, right? And so I feel like that can be pretty um, symbolic. I think it also like what a lot of people don't realize is that um, if you don't pay attention to that floating MC, it's like not only are you getting um, say ninth or 11th house things in particular when you're trying to accomplish things, but it's like there's subtle 10th house things that come up. So it's like that can't be ignored. Um, yeah. Uh, and then as for like what signs to pick, oh, this also extends to the moon. Like depending on like whether you just need something quick or you want something enduring or you want something that you need to revisit, choose the modality of the moon and ascendant, but to some extent the midheaven accordingly, because apparently that will influence like how lasting the impact is, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that would be interesting then how it would like, like let's say you were going for something lasting and so you chose like a Taurus rising chart, but then like, it, like slept on the fact that the MC was in the 11th house and it was like therefore in Pisces, which is like a mutable sign. Like I just kind of yeah. like, huh. like, I wonder how that would, that I mean, it would definitely change things. I'm just like, oh, I wonder how that would exactly look like. I can't think of an example of that, but I do wonder how that would play out. Yeah, no, I think like people should like play with these different, I guess, permutations of like, you know, modality and element of the midheaven, the ascendant, like um, the moon, but then also like you have to consider the like placement of your actual significators, not just in terms of dignity, but also like modality. Like, yes, an Aries Mars is like a great Mars, but it's a great, it's probably best for certain things. A Scorpio Mars would be more optimal for other things, right? So those are things to like keep in mind because that will kind of help you refine like, okay, should I choose this or should I choose that, right? Yeah, definitely. Like I think even with like electional, um, like first and foremost, for nearly everything you're going to elect for yourself, like the ruler of the first house is going to be you. So even mm -hmm. just thinking like what role are you playing and whatever it is you're like electing, right? Like, mm -hmm. um yeah you kind of that, that's like even just a good place to start and kind of just like play around with is like yeah maybe you need to be like really kind of like direct and get shit done yeah maybe maybe you should be like in mars and aries um or <laughs> or maybe if, if you need to play more of a diplomatic role in some in whatever it is you're electing then yeah probably not the best like significator for you mm -hmm. yeah like um yeah just consider the role you need to play like also consider, I feel like, you know, especially with the slower moving planets, like Mars is kind of slower moving, Jupiter more so, Saturn, etc. Like these kind of clue you into like, okay, there are very, very specific time windows where you need to do things, right? Or where it's optimal to do things. And so like, that kind of also gives you a sense of like, okay, like for this period of time, if I want to do like Saturnian related things, like with Saturn spending its last like two or three years um, dignified until it gets to Libra eventually again. What is, when is that like 18 years or something, Stu? It's, it's a long time. 
it's a long ass time. Wow. Like, um, so yeah, like just keep that in mind. Like, um, this might be some of the last times we can get like dignified Saturn and Saturn able to do what it does well, right? And so if you want to be Saturn in a certain situation, this would be a good set of couple of years to like plan something for that. Um, it's not that you can't use like Saturn in Pisces or mm, probably not Aries. <laughs> um, <laughs> but probably not Aries. Um, Taurus and Gemini might be okay because like, you know, Saturn has triplicity there, but like still gotta like keep in mind like you know how often you know how often am I going to get this opportunity to like be in this role and how can I do it well and that should help you kind of narrow down like what your ascendance can and should be right damn that's a really good point about Saturn like I never even thought about how I just thought about yeah, that it's not going to be until Saturn and Libra damn yeah, and we get like we get hella undignified Saturn because the next time that happens is Aries, then it's like we get a break in Taurus and Gemini, and then it's like Cancer Leo, right? Like we get the opposite of what we've been having now, where it was like, okay, yeah, it's in Libra, gets a break, and then it's like, yes, more Saturn doing Saturn, and then yeah, <laughs> we're doing the opposite now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, great. It's great. But, I mean, uh, the nice, it's a nice positive way to look at this like next like two and a half years or so of like Saturn and Aquarius. This is like, oh, it's Saturn and <laughs> yeah, Saturn dignity, Saturn domicile. Like, let's make the most of it. This is the last time for a while that Saturn is going to be its most constructive. Like, we yeah. better take advantage of this shit because it's going to get really weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god especially with saturn and aries that's gonna be in my 12th house you know it's even worse because um uh i think neptune finishes up in pisces and also ingresses into aries at some point during like saturn and aries so that's gonna be really weird um <laughs> i don't want to think about that <laughs> fucking aries like what is that what is that you <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't. anything else that we feel like we missed on electional or horary? Um, I mean, I feel like we covered a lot of really good bases, pretty much. Um, I don't know. Like, do you have any um sort of recommendations for people who want to study horary or electional? I look like. I think electional is like the easier of the two to self-study mm -hmm. on. I honestly like only really kind of started like fully grasping horror after I took a course, but I totally understand that that's not like going to be within like people's reach. So if you do want to learn horror, but you can't like afford a course, like I do think like Lee Lemon's book on horror, the martial art of horror astrology is like a good start. And I haven't begun reading it yet, but Frawley's book on horary is supposed I've, to be also really good. And I think it's written like, um, like no offense to Lee Lemon, but I do think it's kind of easier to follow that book. Too, yeah, so. like 
Someone told me that the Frawley book is basically like someone took Lily and made it relevant to the 21st century, which is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's like good examples in there. Just yeah, it's just kind of stuff that's just gonna be kind of like more like relevant to us. Like there's I was reading, I jumped to the chapter on like just politics, you know, during the general election. Yes, just because I was just like really, really curious <laughs> about like what Frawley had to say about it. And yeah, sure enough, like he like listed out just like all these scenarios of like um yeah, d- different ways you can like elect Tory or you can cast Tory charts around like um, political elections. So I think those good books are good for Horary. As for electional, like I-, I think the astrology podcast episode on electional astrology is like a really, really good like starter. Like if you're completely like new to this, like listen to that because I think that's worth a listen. And then after you're done listening to that, I think some of the best way to learn electional is just like just try it like and try it for like of course like don't like make your first election be like when to launch your business or like when to get married like elect like a haircut that's like one of my first elections or like elect the first date you know like do something that's just gonna be kind of like you know low risk blog post you know something that's not so like high stakes like just do it and see like you know make note of what happens and like go back and revisit um, elect a twitter thread that's a really good one you know like really worst easy. case scenario is like why you don't get very many likes like you know could be worse things or like you start an argument in the threads like i mean <laughs> that's true um yeah like i think uh i'm not as versed in horary so like beyond like raleigh's book and lee layman's books i can't really advise much um, if you're more interested in like horary like things with medical, I do recommend um, getting like I think it's like let me find it on my computer actually PDF. It's like um, I have to go back to like whenever this was early in lockdown when I actually downloaded this. Um, da, da, da. Oh my god, I'm finding everything I bought like and was reading during the pandemic. It's like, um, I think it's like the Astrological Physician or something. It's by Culpepper and you can get it on um, the Medieval Astrology Guide. It's literally like a PDF that you can have on your computer. Um, Let me think. It goes into like decumbiture charts. And I think there's an accompanying lecture. I don't know if it's still there, but like, it's basically like medical horary, Loki. It's awesome. Um, and I remember early in the pandemic, like when I had like tickles in my throat and like sore throats and shit, I kept like looking at charts, like, oh my God, do I have COVID, do I have COVID? Like obviously I didn't, but like still. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. There were a, there have been a lot of do I have COVID horaries on Astro Twitter, and that's been really, really kind of like that's. I mean, that's another way you could like really learn. It's just like go on Astro Twitter if like for those of you who are on it, and just like really follow a bunch of astrologers because there's so many who post these kind of things, and you could just like learn a lot from like mm-hmm. like I've seen 
I don't know if you saw the same one. I won't say who it is, but um, I saw one. I, I've saw multiple examples of people who asked, do I have COVID and ended up not getting COVID? But there is one example of someone who did test positive. And so it's really interesting to just kind of compare. I mean, yeah. Um, there are also lots of uh, astrologers like who are really good at horror. So like, you know, Rob Bailey, um, for those of you who are more modern and into pop astro, like um, iJade, I believe, she's really good at horary. Um, I think she uses the outers too. Like, I think probably as rulers even, but she's probably more versed in how to do that than I am. Um, who else? Like, there's so many people who do horary. Like, oh, the practical astrologer, I love her approach to horary. It's like, she also uses... Um, declinations of planets to see if they're parallel or not relationship oh my god she's gotten some really scary good results with that and i think she should give a lecture on it um awesome i would love to hear more about that yeah no like she's consistently used it and like it's been too good like oh my god it's it's awesome like there's some really cool things you can do like just by thinking about the relationships of the planets because it's so dynamic um it's so yeah i have like huge respect for anyone who can do horary like that's the one thing i can't do so it's hard like i um there's some that like end up being like more like i find i've found to just kind of be more straightforward and easy like um, the one that's the hardest for me still is lost item horaries. Like I just I cannot like, do lost item horaries. Oh my god. Like I also feel like all my lost object horaries like don't match up with like the interps. Like I had one where I like lost my passport. And it's funny because my ascendant was in late degrees, so it's like you shouldn't be reading the horary anyway. And I think like the moon was in the eighth, but it was applying to Saturn, which ruled me. So it was like, what? <laughs> and Saturn was like right on the ascendant or something stupid. And I was like, what is going on? And like what happened was I found the passport in a place I'd already looked, but it wasn't there when I was looking before. And so I was like, What was scarier was that um, because Mars rules my ninth house, like I think it just switched to Mars's night slash hour, and that was when I found the passport. So it had nothing to do with the. Oh horror. my god! Like, I think Mars was demanding my attention. <laughs> yeah, I did a lost item horary for a guy I was dating several months ago because he lost his wallet, and so I casted the horary of where's his wallet, right? And you gotta like turn the fucking chart and everything. Anyway, like the Lord of his second house in the chart was Saturn and Aquarius in the third house. And I like was like, okay, like according to the interps, right? It's just like, okay, so in an air Saturn and air sign. So maybe it's somewhere high up in the house. And I'm like, he lives in a fucking one bedroom apartment. Like, what does that mean? And like, long story short, this freaking wallet ended up being in, so he got home. He, like, got a package from, like, like his brother or something that was, like, on his doorstep. So he came inside with a package, opened up the package, accidentally dropped his wallet in there, completely forgot about it, and then, like, 
then was just like, oh my God, I lost my wallet and spent hours trying to look for it. Um, so yeah, that Saturn, like the, the, the significator of the second house being in the third house in Aquarius, <laughs> like it's like literally a package from his brother. Like it was so literal, but like there's no way in hell I would have been able to guess that. No, I wouldn't have guessed that either, but that is also so fucking literal. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. Like, do you remember where the moon was? like pull up the chart but (laughs) um if I recall correctly I think the moon was also in Aquarius but I might be wrong on that let me look and it's a turn chart too right so because I'm the querent in this case and then like he like would be represented by like the seventh house like in that case um Mm -hmm. but let me just like yeah so I um so you gotta kind of again with just like turn charts you gotta kind of like look at that shit too okay this moon um yeah the moon was in the third house it was in Aquarius that is amazing I love that that is so fucking can't make this shit up (laughs) really can't like wow um wow Holy crap. I know. <laughs> anyway, lost item horrors, they suck. Like, I don't so know how people can be so good at these. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I'll let everybody else be good at it and just marvel from afar. Like, yeah. I think that's everything I have. Plus, my mom started blasting Christmas music outside. So maybe this is a good cue to end it. <laughs> no. Can you all- hear it? I can't hear it actually, but like my dad tried calling me during this and like he's probably like, Where are you? <laughs> so <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk about horror and electional. This is fun. I hope everyone I hope folks listening get something out of it. Same. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>